I didn't think to stop and to check how long we've been in this book, in 1 Timothy. That seems like it would have probably been appropriate considering today is our last day in the text. But as I think back over the months that we've been working through this, it's amazing to see just in this little letter, often going unread little letter, how much the Lord had for this church, has for this church in this letter, in this document. As I've kind of started to say now and again, 2,000 years later, thousands and thousands of miles away, the Lord is serving Center Church by this document. And today, as we look at it, we're going to be faced to think about that one part of life that's not talked about probably enough. As Paul winds down the letter, I'm going to suggest that we are going to look at and to see what does it look like to be the people of God, to be the household of God, a pillar and a buttress of truth in normal, everyday life. What does it look like? You see, this text today is going to feel foreign again, like it has already a number of times. Like it's kind of becoming a broken record where I'm like, well, I know it doesn't look like what life looks like maybe, but I promise it's there. And we're going to see what it is to follow Jesus, to represent adequately in the power and the work of Jesus in the church as the people of God, what does it look like to uphold the truth, the gospel, in the normal, mundane, totally boring, no noise, quiet, the stuff we hope for, the stuff we, the stuff we dream about when you have four kids running around, you know what I'm talking about? That part of life that seems to come in just moments. What does it look like? So please, let's look together at 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by it, For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Pray with me, please. Lord, I just want to I want to thank you for today and just the work that you've been you're doing in all of our hearts and our lives. Just in the period of time, Lord, that we have been reading and and, and studying and thinking about and contemplating all that you have provided to us in 
1 Timothy. We have talked about numerous things, but Lord, I pray now, I pray that you would help us to cling to you when the waves are not high. Help us to cling to you when the storm is quiet. To cling to you when our hearts are warmed by the sun and our, the threats that we fear are no longer nipping at our heels. Help us, Lord, as we look at this text to trust you and to cling to you under every circumstance. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I read through the text, and I just got done telling you that I, I'm going to propose that this is for us to consider in the normal, what does the normal life look like? You might have been taken back a little bit when it says, tell the rich, talk to the wealthy, instruct the wealthy. And if you're like me, the first thing you're probably thinking is, is, did, is this really for me? Like, I don't consider myself like that. You, you, if you're like me, this is, this is probably a moment in time that you've seen where you wonder, does this really apply? And I want to remind you that even though it's aimed at some specific scenarios, this text is for us. It's for us. You see, the Scripture does not say that some of Scripture is God-breathed. It doesn't say that. It says it's all God breathed. It's all for us. It's all for our instruction. It is there for our learning. It is there for our correction. It is there for our training in righteousness. It is there so that we might be complete and equipped for every good work. That comes from Timothy, the letter to, second letter to Timothy 3.16. You probably learned that one in Cubbies, I'm sure. And the truth of the matter is, is that we need to be able to look at this text just like we did the passage at the beginning of chapter 6 and understand that though we probably are not judging ourselves correctly, that's okay, we'll get there. This text is for us. So again, we look and consider. I want to say this because we are probably not judging ourselves appropriately when we consider all things. If you look at the way that the Lord has provided for each one in this room and all of us that are on uh, the web or watching or will watch later, if you think about the way that the Lord has provided for us, there is an innumerable list in all of our lives to consider to think about how wealthy we truly are. Just think about this. I mean, we, we could stop and we can consider ourselves uh, demographically and think about the, 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 the cities and the areas around us. That would show much. We could think about us in relationship to time and history, and that would show much. And we could think about ourselves in relationship to where we are in the world, and that would show much. The truth of the matter is, is that we are a people who are tremendously and absolutely more than we can count, more than we will ever, ever stop and realize, we are blessed. We are blessed. We have so much. So I beg you, please, give me just a little bit of slack and let's consider ourselves in this text as the wealthy, the rich. 
it is important for us to. And I promise that as we look at this and we consider what it is for us to live life in light of all that Jesus has done, we need to think about what it is to be walking and living and putting one foot in front of the other in all of normal life. So what does it look like? What does it look like? What do we do having wealth, right? Being blessed with so much and knowing, as Paul has said earlier, that the love of money is what? It's the root of all evil. All kinds of evil. What is he talking about? And why is it relevant here? And what does the life following Jesus look like in an age when we are tremendously blessed? And I would propose today as we consider this text, the normal Christian life hopes in Christ, invests in His kingdom, and remains forever faithful to the Gospel. And I hope today for us to walk through and hopefully see each one of those three things and see it with clarity. And to know how to leave those doors and live the normal Christian life today, tomorrow, and until He returns. Chapter 6, verse 17. There are some amazing, amazing details here that I think we can very quickly blow by and not see. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. I stopped. Do you notice how he says, the rich win in this present age? our first thing to stop and to consider is there is a wealth. There is a kind of wealth that is in this age, and there is a kind of wealth that is in the age to come. And we must be a people that know and understand this because when we look at wealth, when we properly adjust our eyesight and look at what it is to have much, we will see things only appropriately when we know that this is just for a time. And there is a time coming when wealth will be completely different. And that is what we must look at. Secondly, there is a kind of hope that can be very easily, very quickly, often misplaced. I'm talking about arrogance. Haughtiness, as it says in the text. Arrogance, haughtiness, uh, uh, conceit, all of these things are a sign of an inappropriate hope in ourselves. It is rooted in the idea that we know better. That we plan more strategically, invest more wisely, and spend more frugally. It is a trust that we are prepared in our own doing for the worst and have the skill to avoid or even navigate whatever comes in life. This is common. This is the way we are often trained. And it is good to be a good steward. It is good to plan. It is good to be prepared for whatever could come. But I promise you folks, it is an illy placed hope if you hope that that is what's going to take care of you at the end of the day. That is an inappropriate and improper placement of hope. And so if we look back at the text, he says, do not hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on who? On God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Hope appropriately in the normal Christian life is set firmly on Christ. It is set firmly on knowing just like the people in the wilderness, the ancient Israelites, and just like all of His people for all time must know 
It's not even about placing hope in what He provides us. Right? From disengaging our hope in our ability to acquire and saying, okay, fine, it's from You, Lord. So then re-engaging, hoping in the things that He does give us. No, that's an error too. It is in hoping and knowing and being confident in Him. Being a people not confident in our own ability to acquire, not confident in our own ability to plan or be prepared, but confident in Him who will not ever, ever, ever cease to be faithful. So we are people who live in hope. Hope properly placed. Hope placed in Jesus. And and, and in this, In this, we are, in the normal Christian life, people that hope rightly in Christ, and we are people who invest in His kingdom. Let's look now at verses 18-19. through He says, They, meaning the rich, are to do what? They are to do good. And he plays on the words. He likes to have a little fun with us, I think. To be rich in good works. To be generous in good works and ready to share. We are a people, in verse 19, we are a people that invest, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of what is truly, which is truly life. When we invest in the kingdom, it is not just a, okay, I'm going to write a check uh, at the end of the year, and this is going to go into an allotted fund, and you know, amazing things are going to come from it. This is about being a people that are so passionately hungry, so dug in, so incredibly moved by the power of the gospel and the encroachment of the kingdom into this world that we are looking everywhere to throw the blessings we've been given. We are looking everywhere because we are a people who understand and see that He is pressing us in this text to see the lucrative gains of exchanging our blessing, our blessing that He gives to us and seeing it go out and bless our brothers, our sisters, the church, the expansion of the kingdom all over there, all over the world. The faithful life hopes in Christ and is sold out. It's sold out for the program of sacrificial love and care for the people of God. We put our money, our time, our gifting where our mouth is. That's the normal Christian life. We hope in Christ and we invest in His his kingdom. We do it all having our hope in Him. There are two, at least two benefits, I think, to encourage us as we think about investing in the kingdom. The first is is that when we take what we've been given by God, understanding all of it comes from Him, we 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 get to participate and be a part of and see the multiplication of God's provision in the life of His people. I think about, 
I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't really necessarily planning on talking about this, but it came to mind a, a few times as I was preparing. But uh, it, there was a period in my life when I was young, and I was, I was too young to work, that my family was without. Uh, we just, there, there was a couple of circumstances that took place, and our church was, was small. I think we had, on, a, on an Easter Sunday, maybe 50 people. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't huge. But there was a few people in that church that would go and buy and donate like canned foods and uh, what do you powdered milk? Is that a thing? It, it was all you know. You mix it with water. I don't. It's the only time I had it. These kinds of things. And they started a little cubby, a cabinet, and nobody knew about it. I had no idea. I, we'd been there forever. I never seen this thing. And in that faithfulness, that desire to invest in, that, in the kingdom, that small, faithful movement of just picking something up here, picking something up there, and giving it so that it may be, who knows, maybe it expires before somebody needs it. Who, who's got a clue? I mention this because this is easily 30 years ago. And it's amazing to me to think that we have the opportunity to participate in God's provision in a way that we have. It's, it's completely unique. To be able to take what's given to us, to praise Him, to thank Him, and to know it's all from Him, and then to be able to go out and to provide it to those who have needs that we get to see and we get to actually see and be a part of this amazing miracle of multiplying the blessing that could have been just for you. This is the normal Christian life. When our hope is in Christ and we have a desire to invest in the kingdom, these multiplying things are what happen all over the place. And it's amazing. Because we can receive and know it's from Him and we can look and there are people that have needs everywhere. It's amazing. The second benefit of this is very much like it and it's sort of the end of the story, if you will, is that there is a kind of multiplying of worship that gets to take place. The investment of knowing when we know who it comes from, who we receive it from, and then we take that and in praise and in response we give to those who are in need. We ourselves, we worship and we thank the Lord knowing it is from Him, and at the same time we give those who are in need an amazing opportunity to experience provision and not thank us, maybe thank us, that's okay, but certainly look to God who knows exactly what they need and hear them say, Amen, Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I did not know where that check was going to come from. I didn't know how that bill was going to get paid. I didn't know how it was going to feed my child. And all of it comes from Him. And we as the people in the normal Christian life who hope on Jesus, invest in His kingdom, 
get to see the multiplication of His provision, and we get to be a part of the multiplication of His praise. Church, that is good. It's good. Now, where's Jonathan? Jonathan, Zach, all the band, we love the band, right? They led us well, but I promise you, there is nothing. We, we have a hard time, I have a hard time, you guys do an amazing job, and I, so I have a hard time sometimes remembering the songs from week to week, right? It's not that you forget them, but you just don't remember what was sung before, always. But 30 years can go by, a whole lifetime can go by, and you can recall the amazing soul-stirring awe that is stimulated by people who want to invest in the kingdom and multiply worship for Jesus and giving. Do you see that? There's nothing compared to it, right? There is nothing compared to seeing someone who has their hope firmly found in Jesus wanting to invest in the kingdom, multiply, desiring to multiply God's provision and desiring to multiply His praise, there is nothing that will stir your soul in all of life like that. There is no comparison. It is amazing. And folks, this is the normal Christian life. Do you see it? Lastly, verses 20-21. through 21, We remain faithful to the gospel. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. In his last words to Timothy, Paul charges him to stay faithful to his calling. We've seen it in numerous ways, but here we see it as an evoking of loyalty. For Timothy to move forward, for the church in his care to move forward, he must remain faithful to what he has been entrusted with. In the first century, a deposit was given to someone not just to hold, but to multiply, to grow. We see this in Matthew 25. If you know the parable of the talents, this whole thing plays out. It seems to me, seems to me, and I would, I would ask us to consider that what is entrusted to Timothy and to all of us this morning is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the good news. The message passed down from the apostles to Timothy and then from the apostles to us through the Scripture is that amazing story, that good news, the gospel that we have and we hold dearly. It is of Christ's redemptive work to purchase a people for Himself among the rebels from every tribe, nation, tongue, by His own blood. How they've all, all of us, have been washed clean of all of our sin and unrighteousness by the work of Christ. And before all history and hosts have been pronounced righteous and justified, not because of our own doing, but because of Christ, His life and His death. How He has been raised from the dead, defeating sin and death, and how He has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and will one day return in glory as we sang 
and transform His people in the twinkling of an eye and all sin will be undone. Every wrong will be made right and there will be no remaining foe. Amen. All sin will be consumed either in His judgment or in the finished work of the cross. Have you thought about that? All sin. Done. Completed. No more. Not even the little dusty stuff that's left after. Nothing. All gone. That is what we preach and that is our hope. And for us to be a people who hope in Christ, we trust in this. To be a people who invest in His kingdom, we are counting on this. To be a people who remain faithful to the Gospel, we must not compromise this. We must trust the Gospel for all of life. All of it. We remain faithful by seeing and resting in the good news, in the Gospel. In every area of life, we put on the Gospel. We do not exchange it. We do not diminish it. We trust it, seeing that there is no area in which it does not apply. Do you realize that, that in a nutshell, is Christian counseling? That is what we want you to know when you face an issue, when you face something in your life that's got you turned upside down, you don't know which way's up, and you're just grabbing for something, the Gospel is the answer. The Gospel tells you that you are a sinner. And if you are a sinner, you can be saved. And we will promote that, and we will push that, and we will show you you need a new heart. This is the Gospel. It cannot be compromised in any way. And that means if there is any area of your life if there is any area of our life that we are not liberally applying it, we must. We must. As they say, accept no substitutes. There is nothing out there that will heal, that will solve the problem we all come with. It is only found in the Gospel. We must not be tempted by the razzle-dazzle of this world. It's all plastic, folks. It doesn't do the same thing. There's nothing out there that changes hearts. Nothing. And it is not for hearts changed. Your problems are just going to grow. Your sin will just fester. The pain caused by it will just manifest in new ways and we can try to cover and we can try to hide and we can try to give excuses but if it is not for the miraculous changing of hearts it will never go away it's all rubbish if you try anything but the gospel next the gospel is what brings us together we are a people that are different. If you look around this room, we are all different in one way or another. We may look similar. We may have backgrounds that are similar. We may drive vehicles that are similar. We may have careers that are similar. We may have children that are similar. All of these things. But we are all unique and different. And we come from different backgrounds of all sorts. And it's, amazing. it's an amazing thing to me. Like If you think about this historically, I heard this one time, it, it blew my mind. 
One of the most amazing testimonies to the work of God in the church through all of history is that for 2,000 years, through all sorts of civilizations, through all kinds of circumstances, through plenty and little, cultures, does not matter, you have a people that remain unified irregardless of any of those things. doesn't matter, and they are solely unified for one thing and one thing only, and that is Christ. That is the Gospel. It unifies us, and that is what we are here for. We are here to be united solely on Christ, and we must be. No more and no less. We are a church, center church, who are firmly united on the Gospel. And so, as we say, we as a people are committed to being solely fixed on Jesus. And lastly, as a leadership, we are committed to guarding the Gospel. We remain faithful to the Gospel At one time or another, some more recent than others, Trey, we have stood before you and we have committed to upholding the gospel as that one single thing that we will function and be united on. And over this series of sermons, Rich has faithfully opened the text and shined the Word for us all to see what it is biblically to be a pastor, to serve you as a pastor. But I need you to understand that there are some facts you need to know. Your pastors are normal men. We're not special. We are weak. We are prone to temptation. We are still learning what it is to be fathers, to be husbands, and in many ways just to live the normal Christian life faithfully. We have jobs. We have cars that don't run. We have bills that get put off. We have unfinished projects at home, Zach. And kids that we probably don't spend enough time with. We are as normal as anyone else. Sorry, bud. I don't know where you are. I got you, buddy. But in all of that, each one of us has been independently convinced that the glory of Christ in the Gospel is not only the most amazing thing that one can experience in a lifetime, but Jesus is the treasure in a field in which it is worth selling everything to go take. And like our brothers who share this same passion, this overwhelming passion, you, all of you, knowing this, is not, this passion is not unique to us, but we have been called uniquely to serve Jesus by serving you. To helping you. To loving you. To caring for you. Our call to be faithful means that we do not always give you what you want. But we always give you Jesus. We may not always respond perfectly, but we are committed and our families, our families are very committed to making sure you receive the Gospel. We will not always make the right choices. We will make mistakes and fumble the ball. I promise you, these fingers, I'm always dropping stuff. But we are committed to guarding what we have been entrusted with. And you, Center Church, listen, here is your charge. You must remain committed 
to expecting us to do so faithfully. We have committed to give our lives to this and this church. And you, Center Church, if this is your church, should never expect any less. Write it down. No less. All of this, the normal Christian life, hope in Jesus, invest in His kingdom, protecting the gospel, guarding the gospel, being faithful to the gospel. This is the part I'm supposed to conclude. Uh-oh. Although it's hard to tell with a crowd that responds to singing about Jesus, I imagine there are some here that don't know Jesus truly. I don't know who you are. Okay, so don't feel like I'm trying to find you. I just want, I want you to know it's very, very, very possible, it's very likely that somebody, whether on the camera or in the room, does not know Jesus personally. The normal Christian life can be yours. Trust Him. Look to Him and know He is faithful. He is sufficient. Your sin does not come close, will never come close to out-muscling His amazing grace that we sang about, it will always fall every single time. And the power and the love and the perfect life and the perfect work of Jesus will always, always conquer your sin. It will always conquer it. Trust Him. You will never, none of us, will ever walk in light. We will never look like Jesus. We will never match Him step for step unless He first changes our hearts. Trust Him to change your heart. Trust Him to change your heart. He does it. It's amazing. He makes people that only think about themselves love all of His people. There's nothing like it. It's a miracle. The things that you love so dearly that are putrid to God, He changes those things by His power. That's not from our own discipline. That is from the miraculous working of Jesus in your life. If you do not know Him, trust Him. Christian, Let us be a people in this church. And if you're anybody, anybody who's a believer, who trusts Jesus, let us be a people who knows what it is to behave in the household of God. Normal Christians who live their lives hoping in Christ, investing in His kingdom, and remaining faithful to the gospel. Let's pray. Holy Spirit,
Lord, I pray that you would do a work on all of our hearts. Lord, I would be happy if we didn't remember any of the sermon to have you transform us. To have you do a work in us so that we, we, we would see we would see ourselves in light of your gospel and that we would have our hope firmly fixed in you as a people, Jesus, and that we would be stirred with a, a tickle, a hunger, a desire, an itch that will not go away to invest in your kingdom in every way that we possibly can. And Jesus, I pray, I pray that you would help us as a people, as a, as a leadership, as a church, as a body, to never compromise what you've entrusted with us. I pray that we would be a people that as we trusted and looked to you for the salvation of our souls, that we would trust and look to you for the walking out of righteousness that you are doing in our lives. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.